You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 865 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday and after more than eight months since the Hawks played a basketball game and nearly 17 months since the NBA draft last happened. The 2020 NBA draft is finally here. It will be arriving in just a few hours as I'm recording this. And for clarity's sake, I'm recording this late in the evening on Tuesday, but it's the final show before the draft. And I want to start out by playing a couple things in case you are a new listener. So please forgive me for all of that. And again, if you're a new listener, subscribe to the podcast and also welcome to the podcast. I have hosted this podcast for more than four years. I'm also the managing editor of PeacherHoops.com. I cover the Hawks there on the written side. And also I'm a staff writer at Don on Uproxx covering the NBA, college basketball, and the draft specifically. I love the draft. It's my favorite day of the year. And the last few years, we've been really diving into the draft deeply on this podcast, in part because the Hawks have not been a playoff team for quite some time now. They've been picking in the lottery, and uh, basically, with that said, there's been all kinds of storylines coming out of the draft. This year is no different, of course. And with the extended cycle, we've done even more draft stuff this time around with an incredibly long list of guests. Um, I will point out some of them now. They uh, they, they include Sam Vecini. Jonathan Wasserman, Josh Lloyd, Max Carlin, Ben Pfeiffer, Jackson Frank, Brandon Clean, Zach Hood, Tower Jones, Brian Schroeder, by the way, who was gracious enough to give me about four collective hours on draft profiles of all the projected top 10 guys. So thanks to Brian for all of that. You can go back and listen to all of that stuff still. And by the way, again, if you find any extra time on Wednesday, you want to catch up. All of that is still in the archive of this podcast, as well as some free agent thoughts as well to get ahead of Friday's uh, frenzy on that front. And um, on the written side, there are more than 100 Yes, 100 scouting reports in written form on PeacherHoops.com, all in one place, so be sure to check those out as well. Last thing that I want to plug at the top here, and to be a company man, I was one of the analysts on the Locked On NBA mock draft that's running in five parts on the Locked On NBA feed, so check that out as well. I was uh, joined on the main analyst desk by Josh Lloyd, Brendan Clean, and David Locke, as well as uh, analysis there from Chad Ford, John Hollinger, and Jeremy Wu, among others. So with that out of the way, the plan is for today's podcast to be a step back, sort of surveying the landscape, talking about the news of the day with Gordon Hayward, giving some final thoughts on Atlanta's options, and uh, basically setting the scene overall for Wednesday night. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first sponsor is Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. I told you in the past how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, but now there are up to 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including six new selections like caramel, brownie, lemon, almond cheesecake, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all soft and easy to chew. From there, it's also important to note that Built Bar is fantastic for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying a delicious treat. Bars are high protein, high fiber, low calorie, and low sugar, and Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com right now, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and when you do that, you get 20% off on your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON, for 20% off your next order. Check it out at BuiltBar.com. So, under normal circumstances, I probably would dive into the NBA schedule announcement that happened on Tuesday evening, but it was basically what we already talked about on this podcast the last few episodes as the leaks kind of came in, putting together the schedule for next for next season. One thing is that the schedule will be split into two halves, as Travis Schlenk talked about 
on Monday afternoon. Also, the play-in tournament is now official for teams that they're going to land between 7 and 10 at both conferences. That's not a big surprise, but now official in terms of the approval by the Board of Governors. Also, the layout of the 72-game format with home games versus road games versus conference games, all that stuff can be found, I'm sure, somewhere. But considering what, what day it is and what's going on here, you can get all that stuff nationally. So we'll dive into the draft stuff, free agency stuff more on today's podcast. So I was being sarcastic on Twitter on Monday into Tuesday. And I put together a sort of a list of all the free agents or the trade targets that have already been linked to the Hawks through reporting. I'm often sarcastic, uh, so that was not a huge surprise. But basically, it's an extension of what I've been saying for a long time now, which is that the Hawks will be tied to basically everyone in terms of who's available by agents because Atlanta has the most cast space in the league. Also, a bunch of roster spots that are open, rotation slots that are open, a young team, a talented team with a, with a mandate to get better, etc., etc. All those factors are in play for the Hawks to be tied to basically everyone. So, the Hawks were briefly tied to Bogdan Bogdanovich on Monday night through a report by uh, the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor. That didn't last long because the Bucks then um, came in to sign and trade for him. Also, Drew Holiday is now off the board because of the trade to Milwaukee himself. And that was two guys that were linked to the Hawks at different times over the last week or so that are now out of play for Atlanta. But the big name from Tuesday is Gordon Hayward. Hayward is a guy that I have discussed on on this podcast over the last several months as a potential idea for Atlanta, but still there was some reporting that came to surface on Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday evening from Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports. Earlier in the day, by the way, there was reporting from ESPN that Hayward and the Celtics agreed to move his player option deadline back to Thursday. And for the record, Hayward has a $34.2 million player option he can opt into if he wants to. And that changes the calculus at least a little bit on all sides. But um, from there, basically, Haynes reported that the Hawks are, quote, in play, end quote, for Hayward with a sign and trade as a, as a, sorry, a, a quote, possible route, end quote to acquire Hayward. So we'll come back to the sign and trade part in a second, because that's definitely interesting and kind of maybe uh, nuanced. But I want to say just right now, the Hawks have the most cash space in the league. They can pay Hayward as a, as a free agent. And unlike, unlike other teams that might want to trade for Hayward because they don't have cash space, the Hawks can just sign him. If they were to convince Hayward to opt out and just sign a deal with the Hawks, there's nothing that Boston could do about either one of those things. So that's that's option number one in a lot of ways. If you're if you're if you're the Hawks and you want Hayward, um, that's the best way to do it probably for Atlanta's sake. Now, if Hayward opts in, the Hawks can still trade for him, but that wouldn't be a sign and trade because he's now opted in. So it's not really a sign and trade. At the same time, Hayward could opt in and then negotiate an extension after being traded or as part of a trade potentially to another team, including the Hawks. So keep that in mind as well. If it's a sign and trade, that means he's opting out and then signing with Boston and being traded to another team. That would create a trade exception for the Celtics, which would be actually quite valuable for Boston potentially. But the Hawks don't really need to do that necessarily. They could do it as a favor to Boston in some ways, uh, at least if Hayward wanted to have that happen. The other thing that Boston might want to entice the Hawks with, as a sign-and-trade anyway, is to get Dwayne Dedman. Now, the Hawks probably view him as a negative salary to some extent, but Boston could use a middling salary for trade purposes and also a veteran center in the way that Deadman is. So that's just an idea that I'm putting out there. Nothing's been reported on that front so far, but the sign and trade stuff, the way that it was worded is pretty interesting and kind of uh, strange for Atlanta specifically. It's more apt if you were talking about, hey, we're going other places, but in Atlanta, they have space to sign him. That's important to note. They do not have to trade for Gordon Hayward. They can just sign him with cap space. Now, if the Hawks offered him a lucrative deal, they could just ignore Boston altogether 
But Hayward, if he wants to come to Atlanta, has to let them know has to let them know that, and then they can figure it out from there. So that could have happened at this point in time. I'm not 100 sure on that. As you're listening to this, it might have changed by now. But as of Tuesday late evening, the latest reporting is that the Hawks are in play, but nothing is firm on that point in time. So on the court. Hayward was quite good last year in Boston. He shot 38% from three. That's very good. 50% from the floor. That's also very good. I know he's 30 years old, but I will say this very clearly and plainly. Hayward is a better player than any free agent the Hawks could sign this offseason. Now, we're assuming, of course, that Anthony Davis is not available because he's not. Brandon Ingram, same thing. But everybody else... Gordon Hayward is better right now than all those guys. He's a better player than Joe Harris or Davis Bertans or Jeremy Grant or KCP or whoever else you want to pick. The only guy that I might say is comparable to Gordon Hayward is Fred Van Vliet. And that's a guy that obviously is a point guard that's a little bit of a, t- of a tough fit in Atlanta, etc. So with all that said, I think, again, Hayward is good at basketball. He's a guy who was better than all of the favorite free agents that everyone's talking about for the Hawks. Now, that's different than all the contract stuff, but just on the court, you'd have a hard time finding a player. In fact, you probably can't without a, a pretty lofty trade that would help the Hawks more next season than Gordon Hayward would because Gordon Hayward is quite good at basketball. So from there, the fit stuff, there's questions about the how you impact, impact the young guys, all that stuff. I'll say this in terms of the fit and the young players the Hawks have on the wing. And of course, I'm talking about Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter, and DeAndre Hunter. But the Hawks are going to acquire at least one, maybe two, maybe even three rotation caliber players this offseason. Something I've been saying for a long time. And those guys are going to play on this team. Hayward is obviously on the high end of that. But there's no world in which the Hawks are just going to run it back with only the three young guys on the wing and nothing else. They need quality pieces. I wouldn't worry about taking away from Reddish or Herder or Hunter. That's a concern that I keep seeing on Twitter and other places. I guess I get it, but at the same time, the Hawks are going to add someone. Hayward would help them quite a bit, and yes, he might start over them. Guess what? That doesn't really matter that much. Hayward's better than those guys right now anyway, so it'll all be okay. I promise we'll dive into that if we need to later on, but that's when I say that out loud before we kept going. So the other thing that I heard a lot of was that Hayward is injury-prone, was the way that it was described to me. That's really not true. He did have the sub, he did have the uh, the sort of fluke injury that everyone probably remembers when he missed the entire season when he got injured on opening night. It was a gruesome injury, national TV, all that stuff. That happened. He missed the whole season. That's worth noting. But aside from that, he's averaged seventy plus games per season when you remove that one campaign. And by the way, that includes two seasons in which the league didn't even play seventy total games. So he really has been on the court for like 90 plus percent of his team's games in his entire 10-year career if you remove that one season. So yes, getting into your 30s, you would have a little bit more questions. He had the one injury in the bubble this year that I think people are sort of grasping onto as well. But overall, durability has not been a problem for Gordon Hayward. Could it be long-term? Sure, it could be. Um, Medical stuff would be important, as it always is on a big-time contract. But I think the injury-prone label is just pretty silly. If you look at at the uh, sort of the, the year-by-year breakdown. If the Hawks do acquire him, we'll dive even deeper into that. But if you, I would encourage you to look up Gordon Hayward's numbers and his games played, and it's usually somewhere in the 70s. So keep that all in mind. Um, so overall, I could go a lot deeper on this than I probably will right now just because of the timing and all that stuff. But broadly speaking, it's going to come down to, at least my own, my own analysis will come down to how much the Hawks pay him, if it happens, of course, and for how long they pay him when trying to evaluate a trade or a free agent signing here. If it's a sign-and-trade, the Hawks don't have any incentive to send real assets to Boston because they could just sign him outright. Again, that's important to note. Hayward could opt in, and the Hawks could still trade for him, but if Hayward actually wants to come to Atlanta, 
he's not going to make the Hawks send a bunch of assets to Boston. That makes no sense to go uh, sort of make your incumbent team worse by sending uh, by sending assets back to Boston. So keep that all in mind. If Hayward opts in, it is trickier. But Boston could still look to trade him, and then there's a whole different conversation there. And as I said before, Hayward could still opt in and then negotiate a trade also, and then an extension with the Hawks or any other team. That's a sort of layered conversation, but this is the kind of nature that we're all in now with the NBA, where, uh, for instance, the Wagdanovich trade on Monday night happened before free agency even started. It's a sign-in trade. So all this stuff is kind of made up in a lot of ways. Um, but anyway, Hayward could be looking specifically to opt in and get an extension. That There is some merit to that because that would guarantee his salary of $34.2 million for this year. And then from there, they could build off that. That could actually help the Hawks in some ways if they agree to it ahead of time because then they can then lower the number down in year two to present to start to preserve some cap space if they want to start still aim big for next summer. All that stuff will we'll definitely litigate later if this actually ends up happening. But Hayward, there are options here. I think one thing that I will point out, I'll be surprised if the Hawks acquire Gordon Hayward and have to trade you know, a lot of assets to get him. Now, the contract is different. They're going to have to pay real money for Gordon Hayward. There's no scenario in which Gordon Hayward is coming to Atlanta for cheap. That's not happening. But people were asking about the number six pick and, you know, all the young wings. Like, what's it going to cost to get Hayward? I'll be surprised if the Hawks are sending a ton of assets in addition to money to Boston. I could be wrong, but just doing the math in your head and just kind of putting it all together, if Hayward wants to come to Atlanta, there is no reason why he wouldn't just sign there and if he didn't just sign there, he wanted to get a sign and trade, all that stuff. It's because he wants to do something with his contract, and he's not, you know, boss is going to have very little leverage, if at all, to press the Hawks into overpaying from an asset perspective. Again, the contract is something different, and that's going to probably take a real investment, three, four years, big money. That's definitely worth pointing out. But there you go on that. At any rate, Hayward is good. There'll be some concern about his age for sure. He is 30. If you get into a four-year deal for, you know, a lot of money, I get all that. There is concern there, but I think just practically speaking, Hayward is good. There's been some pushback that I've already gotten about him not being that good or being washed up and all this stuff. If you watched him this year in Boston, he was good. Um, He was injured in the bubble. I get all that, but, you know, there is some concern anytime your guy's uh, going into his 30s. But in terms of just not being a positive player, that's just not the case at all. He's a good player. And uh, the contract will be interesting. I, I can totally understand. You know, people, somebody asked me about if I would give him a four-year max. The answer is no on that. Four years is not out of the question. But if you do that, you want to l- knock down the average annual salary. If you want to go a little bit shorter, maybe you can maybe you can rise it up. There is a world in which you're paying him a little bit more early on in the deal and having it decline. All that stuff is in play. And we'll litigate it when it comes. But for now, the Hawks are linked to Gordon Hayward officially now with reporting. And uh, again, he's one of the best players, if not the best player, that they could possibly acquire in terms of uh, not having to overpay with assets, just money. And he would very much help them moving forward. So we'll come back to that if necessary. There was a flicker of information as well on Rajon Rondo on Tuesday. Frank Isola reported that Rondo is, quote, expected to receive a significant offer, end quote, from the Hawks, which he then described as $15 million over two years. Isola then went on to report that Rondo, quote, remains focused on potentially joining the Clippers, end quote, saying that the mid-level exception is an option for the Clippers. I said this right away on Twitter as well, but it feels like a leverage play to me. There is some reporting out there from Chris Haynes and Chris Kirchner that the Hawks do have interest. I believe that. The Hawks do have um, no incentive, though, to give any potential offer, like that two-year $15 million offer that's been floated. The Hawks have no reason to put that out there themselves. That's definitely an agent play in some respects there. So reading between the lines, you know, there's probably some crossover between interest and leverage, but the Hawks do 
again, they're very obviously the point of leverage for a lot of different agents, a lot of different players this time around. And my personal thinking and intel at this point in time is that I think Rondo is much more likely to sign with a contender that's not the Hawks than it, than he is to actually come to the Hawks. He's still a guy who is focused on you know, winning. He's an older player. I know the Hawks have a role for him. That's important to point out. But that obviously, you know, the Hawks have this spot behind Trey Young that would be, in theory, if you liked Rondo, it would make a, a good fit for him. With that said, he's the kind of guy where I think, I believe what I'm hearing, that he likes to be on a good team, a title contending team. If the Clippers want him, that's probably what's going to happen. Um, could he come to Atlanta? Sure he could. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not ruling it out by any means, but I think um, if I was to guess, I would guess he would not come to Atlanta unless the Hawks just get, gave him a pretty crazy offer that I would not endorse them giving. At, at a certain point, if the Hawks overpay, then he might come. But I think all things equal, he's likely to go to a contender. And right now, that probably isn't Atlanta. So keep that all in mind. That's just my uh, my two cents for now. And by the way, the Hawks would certainly be, be tied to somebody else I would guess between now and Wednesday night or Thursday morning, uh, maybe even two, three players during the day on Wednesday. Uh, it won't surprise me if they make a deal for the player for a player around the draft, even if it's not involving a pick of any kind. This is a, just a prime draft trade season, so they don't have to tra- they don't have to trade a pick to make a trade in the next day or two. So keep that all in mind as well. It's a very active time, and the Hawks have a ton of options, so all kinds of things to uh, monitor there. Now, quickly again, before I pivot back to draft prospects and sort of end the show on the uh, sort of a big picture note. At the end of the podcast, there's another piece that came out on Tuesday. ESPN did a seven big NBA trades that we want to see piece on Tuesday. And I want to say this at the top. To be clear, this is not them reporting on trades. And this is a fake trade that I'm about to talk about involving the Hawks. Um, Good pal Zach Hood tweeted about it on Tuesday morning. Some people uh, talked about it and responded to it and were asking me about it. So I wanted to weigh in real quickly here. They proposed, by the way, this is, this is before the Gordon Hayward news came out on Tuesday morning. But the proposal that ESPN put out was from Mike Schmitz with the Hawks sending number six and Dwayne Dedman to Boston for Marcus Smart, 14, 26, and 30. I'll say first, there is no chance in my view that Boston does this trade. Zero. <laughs> if they did, it's a grand slam for the Hawks. Absolute no-brainer. But again, my feeling is that there's no chance Boston does that trade. Now, six for 14, 26, and 30 is a deal that I've discussed on this podcast numerous times. It's pretty fair. In fact, it's an advantage for the team getting the three picks on Kevin Pelton's trade chart, but it's pretty close, so keep that all in mind. But from there, you'd be swapping Deadman, who's a slight negative on his contract, for Marcus Smart, who's a big positive on his contract with an extra year left, and he's also just much, much better than Dwayne Deadman right now. I know Smart is a guy that the Hawks fans don't like, but he's very good as a role player. He'd fit great in Atlanta in terms of on-the-court stuff. Honestly... I don't think Boston would trade smart for six, just straight up, but that's about fair value potentially. And that tells you a lot about the package that's been thrown around there. So honestly, to answer the question that I got, I think it's a very, very clear yes for the Hawks. And by the way, it would be a yes, even if you took out 26 and 30 for Boston, if it was just six and Deadman for smart and 14, that's still a yes for the Hawks for me. So if you're throwing in two more first round picks, it becomes silly good for Atlanta. But again, I think it's just a fake trade. It's fun. I, I get all that. If people are asking about that, that I wanted to make sure that I weighed in because I told people that I would on the podcast. It's not going to happen, but it'd be an awesome move for the Hawks. Okay, before we get to the final roundup on the draft cycle, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. All right, so we've tackled the Gordon Hayward stuff and the free agency stuff and the trade stuff that's happened so far. There will be more, I'm sure, we will handle in the coming days, but for now... We'll focus on the draft, and it's draft day as you're listening to this now. 
I would say there are obviously myriad options the Hawks could pursue. Something I would say in the entire time is that Atlanta could do just about anything, and that makes it a lot of interesting uh, stuff for Atlanta to discuss. At the same time, it's hard to peg what they're actually going to do. So I'll sort of lay out a couple of options that they actually have here, uh, just for people that have not been dialed in so much the entire time. Um, number one, that they could trade up in the draft. Um, Travis Schlenk said, as you, as you probably heard on yesterday's podcast, if you were listening to it, that he puts trading up as the least likely option for Atlanta. But that's on the table. They absolutely could do it. They have the assets to do it. If they were to do that, my guess and my uh, assumption would be that it would be for Anthony Edwards, the UGA shooting guard who is a high uh, ceiling prospect, top three guy in this class. I'm not a fan of trading up in this draft really at all. But if there is someone to trade up for, it's probably Edwards for the Hawks. So I'll just say that right now. At a certain price, it might make some sense. I wouldn't love it in terms of just value stuff on the surface, but there is a way where it might make some sense. And again, at least you're aiming for upside there. Edwards has star upside. So if you want to search for that, I totally get it. He's the only guy that I'd trade up for probably if I was Atlanta. I do have LaMelo Ball number one on my board, but in terms of just the fit stuff with the, with the Hawks there, I can't see that really happening. James Wiseman, same thing. I, I don't really see that as a great fit enough to trade up for him in this class. So if they do that, I'm guessing it would be for Edwards, and there you go on that. Um, sort of to that end, a couple of masochistic Hawks fans asked me um, separately actually on Tuesday what the worst case scenario is for the Hawks in my mind. So without going into too much detail here, uh, I will say that I think overpaying in a trade-up for a role player is one of the ugly options in this class, um, especially after the Hawks did that last year. Again, I like DeAndre Hunter, I always did, but the deal was not what I would have done last year in terms of the trade and the assets, all that stuff. I think doing something similar to that would be pretty bad for any role player, and that's really, any, even, if, even if it's a guy that I like. So last year, I liked Hunter a lot, um, and that didn't dissuade me. I think this year is the same sort of thing, like pick your prospect, Denny Abdia, Isaac Coro, whoever you want to say, I would not trade up and give up real capital for any of the role player prospects in this class. Trading up for Edwards is at least a swing on upside. I wouldn't give up, I wouldn't want to give up anything huge though to go up for anybody else in this draft. The other potentially bad scenario is to use six to trade for a veteran that's not a big plus value on his contract. It's something that we talked about before, but trading six for like Buddy Heald or DeMar DeRozan. Something like that would not be a great idea, in my view. That's just overplaying for the upcoming season at the ex- at the expense of the future. So, um, value still matters. Those guys are pretty good players. Obviously, Heald and DeRozan are, are helpful NBA players, but not someone I'd be trying to trade for uh, number six for. That's the other way that it can go bad. It's just trying to speed up too, too much. And uh, there you go on that. Okay, from there, the Hawks could trade down. Now, this has been a point that we've litigated quite a bit on the podcast recently. There's a reported interest from New Orleans at 13, and they now have 13 and 24, by the way. Boston has three picks, 14, 20, 14, 26, and 30, plus young players. Minnesota has reportedly wanted to go up from 17. Um, all kinds of stuff. The Wizards have been linked to the Hawks at certain times. There was a mock draft speculation from the Ringer at one point about the Wizards trading nine and Troy Brown for six. That's a mock draft thing, but still want to point out there. It wouldn't shock me if OKC got, got weird with all their assets. They have two picks in the 20s plus a ton, a ton, a ton of future capital if they wanted to trade. All kinds of teams, you know, basically almost anyone from nine to the end of the first round almost could trade up if they wanted to in this class. And, uh, you know, without getting into me guessing what's going to happen here, trading down is my favorite theoretical option on the board. You don't have to. Again, you, you do not have to trade down. Even as someone who likes trading down in a vacuum, the value's got to be there. You don't just go down to go down for no reason. Keep that all in mind. If the Hawks do slide down a few spots... Guys like Devin Vassell might still be there. Tyrese Maxey's a guy that I like a lot. 
all kinds of options that might be interesting. Josh Green, if they go down further than that, um, maybe even like someone like Aaron Neesmith, whatever you want to say. Whoever your favorite guy is in the teens, the Hawks could certainly tackle. But my guys would be if it was um, a trade down to like within the top 10 or 11, Devin Vassell. If they go down a little bit further than that, Tyrese Maxey's a guy who I think is projected to fall out of the lottery in a lot of places, or at least late lottery. He'd be the guy that I would like a little bit further down. So trade down, we've talked about it before, but that's definitely on the table as well, potentially for Atlanta. Then they could trade all the way out of the draft. That's important to point out as well. Um, they could do all that. I'm not going to like go through all kinds of ideas that have been floated out there. I will say this. The Hawks could trade out for six for a player or two or a combination of player and picks. I think the most likely scenario probably is a combination of player and picks if they were to do this. This is not a secret at all. The Hawks want to get better. There's nothing for me to dive into right now in terms of just actual options. I think the Hayward thing is separate because he's kind of a free agent in some ways. If he was on a contract, it might be, might be different, but the Hawks could do a trade out scenario. If that happens, we will litigate it, but um, I'm okay with it. It's just, it all comes down to value. If it's someone that's good and underpaid or reasonably paid, then sure. If you're doing it to take on someone who's overpaid, I'm less excited about that. But assets, all, all that stuff matters, and we'll litigate that as it happens. Last thing we'll get to here is sort of a brief overview of all the players that are in Atlanta's range. Um, people were asking me sort of who's the least likely to fall to six in the entire draft. I would say Edwards is probably the least likely to player to fall. I think all three of the top guys, though, Ball, Edwards, and Wiseman, are going to be gone almost certainly. Edwards is the one that I've not heard really anybody in terms of team or analyst have outside their top like three or four in this class. Ball, there's more divisiveness, but a lot of people have him number one like I do. Wiseman, um, same thing, but teams like him a lot more than the internet does. So I think he's those guys are going to be gone. And from there, that basically opens up the options. I'm going to read them all to you now of the guys who I talked about a lot. And by the way, as a plug again... Um, my conversation with Brian Schroeder have been good on all these guys. We, we covered a lot of players that we're talking about. Um, basically, all these guys, with the exception of Patrick Williams, I did a separate deep dive with, with Brian. And also, um, I discussed Williams with Ben Pfeiffer last week on the show, so keep that in mind as well. But the names are basically Denny Avdia, Tyrese Halliburton, Killian Hayes, Anyaka Kongwu, Isaac Okoro, Obi Toppin, Devin Vassell, and Patrick Williams. That is eight guys. So I would say two of them are going to be gone. Unless something crazy happens, two of those guys plus the top three are going to be gone in the top five when the Hawks pick. So that means six guys to choose from. Now, at the top here, I think from what I understand and what's been reported, by the way, Chris Kirshner is uh, at least part of this as well. He indicated on Tuesday evening that Killian Hayes is not expected to be the pick at six. That tracks with what I've heard. It's not a huge surprise. I do like Hayes quite a bit. I'm higher on him than the league is. But when you factor in the, the fact that the Hawks have Trey Young, there's some, there's some uncertainty there. It is not a shock at all. They wouldn't want to trade. Uh, sorry, wouldn't want to select him at six. You know, would I rule it out 100%? Probably not. But it seems like that's very unlikely at this point in time. So that narrows it down a little bit. And then of course, again, some of these guys are going to be gone. So quickly, I will go over my thoughts on all these prospects. I've talked about them a lot. So forgive me for repeating myself. But for new listeners, there you go. Denny Abdia. Um, this is by the way, this is going to be in alphabetical order. So does not give up too much here. Um, Denny Abdia is a guy that does a lot of things well. I think Denny is someone who could have real value as a role player in the NBA. Offensively, there's a question about his jump shot um, that I will not be able to answer, quite, quite honestly. People are believers in it. And even if it comes to fruition, that'd be very nice, but the free throw, free throw shooting's pretty bad. That's a red flag. He's a good ball handler, though, 6'9", 6'10". And then defensively, I think he'll be pretty good. Um, pretty solid across the board, not going to be a stopper. And my big concern with Denny Abdia, that I've said a hundred times, I'll say it again now, 
is that I don't know what he's great at. And you don't have to be great at anything necessarily to be a great NBA player, but I think that it's a concern for me that he has nothing to really bank on. He's good in transition. That's probably his best skill. But I think that he profiles as more of like this very solid role player type. And that's totally fine. He'll be a guy that I probably like. I like role players quite a bit. But I think Abdiya, if there's a question with him, is with upside. Tyrese Halliburton is a similar question in terms of his upside. But at least you know with Halliburton that he does a few things very, very well. He's a great passer. Um, he's a really good shooter with range. It's kind of a weird-looking shot, but it always goes in. And then defensively, off the ball, he he, he fills the game really well, makes plays, gets steals, all that stuff. Uh, Halliburton, though, is kind of a tweener in that he's a combo guard, really, in a lot of ways. Point guard-wise, he is a great passer, as I said before, but he has trouble getting to the rim and uh, not, not a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. Defensively, on the ball, it's a question. He's not going to be terrible, but he's not very strong right now. He's going to have to get stronger, all that stuff. He profiles as a guy who fits very well in Atlanta um, because he can play with Trey and without Trey. That's a very uh, good selling point for me if you're a Halliburton fan. With that said, I'm not sure what the upside is there. I think he's going to be a role player, and that's not a problem. Most of these guys are going to be role players. But um, it's there's a question about whether he's like a long-term starter or more of a third guard type, and that's a question the Hawks have to answer when they're evaluating the number six overall pick. From there, um, Onyeka Kongwu is a guy that is very good. I like Kongwu. He's a top four guy for me, has been the entire time. I like him more than Wiseman. That's controversial, I understand, but he's very good. Um, still, he is a center in my view. And that's the question here with the Hawks, is that Kongwu is probably going to be the best player available when they pick, in my view. It's either him or Hayes, and again, Hayes is not someone I think the Hawks are probably going to take. So Kongwu, the question is, how much do you value centers? How much do you value Capella's? Capella now being there on the, on the contract and all that stuff. And how much do you care about fit? Travis Schlenk said yesterday, on the record, on Monday, that best player available is the is the thing, except for fit being a sort of a tiebreaker of sorts. Which That's also the way that I think, as well. Um, it just kind of comes down to whether you evaluate Okongwu as being better than the other options, like, kind of notably. I think Okongwu is going to be really good defensively. He's a good switch guy already. He can protect the rim. He's not enormous. That's the big question about him, is there's just a lack of size. But physically, he's a good mover in space. He, he knows how to play defensively. I think he's going to be a very good modern defensive center. And then offensively, he's a great rim runner. He's a good finisher. I think he'll shoot it in time as well. He's a decent enough passer. I think has good has pretty good feel. So I think he's going to be a well-rounded starting caliber center in the NBA. And he'd be a good fit with John Collins. The thing is, you have Clint Capella on the team too. I think my own thoughts here is that Okongwu would be a perfectly reasonable pick at number six overall, even with Capella and Collins on the team. I think long-term... Would you have to make a decision between Kongwu and Capella? Probably in a couple of years. If if Kongwu's playing great, maybe. But if he's your best player available, and he might be for me, that's totally fine. I would be totally cool with the Hawks taking him at number six overall. From there, Isaac Okoro is a guy I've liked quite a bit. I've drafted him in multiple mock drafts as the Hawks. And the big question with Okoro is his jump shot. That is something that everyone knows at this point in time about Koro. But if you think he can't shoot, it's a problem. I understand that. Um, but he's so good at everything else that I still believe in Okoro quite a bit. Um, offensively, he attacks the rim with a reckless abandon. He really gets to the rim and finishes, gets to the free throw line. He's a good passer, pretty good ball handler for his size, at least in terms of his role in the NBA. And then defensively is where he really shines. He's awesome on the ball, the best on-ball defender in the class. Off-ball, I believe that he'll be pretty good. Is he special off the ball? Maybe not. But he's so physically strong and athletic that I really buy it. And uh, I think I like him quite a bit. It's just one of those things where, you know, he was mocked more to the Hawks early in the process. It's cooled a little bit since then, but I think if he if he's drafted at six on Wednesday, that would not surprise me at all. I would totally understand that as well. He's a guy that, I, again, I have picked 
sort of on my own volition multiple times for the Hawks at number six. From there, you get to Obi Toppin, a guy who I would not love for the Hawks. Now, that's not a shot at Obi Toppin. I think Obi Toppin is a good prospect. He is a great offensive prospect in a lot of ways. In fact, of all the guys that I'm talking about on this list, so taking Edwards, taking Ball away, Toppin is the best offensive prospect probably on the entire list. He is really, really good on offense. He's a great finisher. He's a good athlete, vertically especially, great dunker. He can shoot it. He's a, he's a really good short roll passer. Um, the way that he feels the game on offense is really impressive. And again, I think he's going to be a good offensive player full stop in the NBA. The problem with Toppin is that defensively, he's bad. And I don't want to sugarcoat it too much. He doesn't have to be bad forever, but I think his tools are not very good defensively. He's really uh, sort of, um, let's say, not flexible with his hips. He doesn't he doesn't slide well. He doesn't get into a stance and move laterally. I think pick and dive defense in terms of like just being a drop guy Maybe, but he's not that big. So you're talking about a guy who is power forward sized, who can't move in the, on the perimeter defensively, and probably can't protect the rim at a super high level. Um, the comparison everyone makes is to John Collins. I think, by the way, they are the same age. I think Collins is a better athlete in terms of just um, um, horizontally being able to slide. And Collins is a, I would say, an elite finisher by every description. Also a guy who's developed his offense. I think if Toppin became Collins, it'd be a hugely successful outcome for him. And that's also part of the reason why I think you probably don't want to draft Toppin if you are the Hawks. Candidly, I wouldn't draft Toppin for anyone at six. So that's, that's just me. I'm not saying it's crazy. I think the value is reasonable there and some for some teams. But given the fact that I wouldn't take him at six for any for any team, and then you throw in the fit stuff with the Hawks, Collins already on the team, Capella, all that stuff. Defensively, pairing him with Trey Young, pick and roll defense. All that stuff, I just wouldn't do it. Um, I'm not trying to be negative about Obi Toppin. I think, again, he's a lottery pick in this draft, for sure. He's a talented guy, and I think he'll have a good career in the NBA in a lot of ways, but not the guy that I would take at number six overall. Two more to go, uh, and they're both from Florida State, which is actually kind of interesting. Uh, Devin Vassell is a guy I really like. I drafted Devin Vassell in the Locked On NBA mock draft. Um, Okoro was gone, as was um, a couple of other guys that I was at least considering. Vassell is a plug-and-play 3-and-D role player. And that is not sexy, I get that, but his off-ball defense is incredible. He's the best off-ball defender in the entire class. He feels the game so well. And then on the ball, he's just fine. He's got good length. I think he'd be a good fit defensively for anybody right away. Um, offensively, he shoots the ball at a high level. Um, he, he feels the game at a pretty high level. I think star upside is not what I see for him on offense. And I think defensively, he's more of a good long-term defender than a great one in terms of like game-changing on-the-ball defense. But off-the-ball, he can really wreak havoc and uh, he's been compared to Mikhail Bridges. That's the kind of guy you're that, that you're getting here. I know that's not sexy at six, but and by the way, again, Vassell is a guy I think is probably going to be available beyond six. But just candidly speaking, I would rather have Vassell than a couple of guys that we've already talked about for Atlanta in this situation. So there you go on that. Lastly, Patrick Williams is a fast riser. In fact, there was a report tonight from Casey Johnson who covers the Bulls and has for a long time. He's very, 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 very good beat, beat writer for the Bulls. And he's talking about the Bulls maybe centering on Williams at number four overall. From there, the Pistons have been linked to him quite often at number seven overall. And that is a big change from, I would say, a month ago. It would have been shocking to have him even at seven, much less four. And he was mostly seen as a late lottery guy up until the last few weeks. Now, I will not change my evaluation on that, but I still have Williams as sort of a late lottery guy. And that's not, that's not a shot at him at all. I think he's a pretty good prospect. He's really intriguing, two-way potential. He's more of a power forward. He is physically pretty impressive in a lot of ways. But offensively, he's pretty raw. Didn't do a ton of offense in college. He's more of a forward defensively as well. Not a great perimeter uh, 
mover defensively, in my view, in terms of like chasing around wings. But I think Williams would be good in a trade down. At six, I would not personally take Patrick Williams. Again, I talked about him with Ben Pfeiffer a little bit on last week's show, but he's a late riser. I get why. There is intrigue there. He's very young. He's athletic. All that stuff checks all the boxes, but I do think that he is below most of these guys for me. I might consider him over Toppin, but everybody else on the list I would that I'm talking about now, I would take ahead of him for the Hawks. Okay, so that wraps up, wraps up the sort of the mini capsules here. I've said it a million times, so forgive me if you're a frequent listener, but the gaps... Between these guys are just not that big. They're they just aren't. I'm sorry. I, I, it's not sexy. I know that like I'm not gonna stand here and just like scream and yell about who I would take. As such, I have preferences for sure. The Hawks may not see it that way, and it doesn't mean it's like egregious or anything like that. If they don't pick the guy that I would take or the fan base necessarily wants, the fan base is kind of split. I think as well, which is pretty interesting. Normally, I, I could kind of tell you who the fans want. Last year, it was Cam Reddish pretty clearly, and they got him eventually. So that was good for the for the fan base. But if they stay at six. You know, they can't go too crazy in my view. I think Toppin and Williams would be my la- my least favorite choices of those guys. But even then, they're not like indefensible at six in this class. Trades are, of course, very different as well. It's a big night for Atlanta. I will say that at the top. You know, if, it's, if it comes down to me making the choice, I think I'd probably lean in the direction of one of Okoro or Kongwu if I was the Hawks. Um, again, I'm trying to say in reality because I would consider Hayes. I've been saying that the entire time. I would vastly consider Hayes, but it seems like the Hawks are not necessarily doing that. So if you cross him off for now, I would probably take Okoro or Okongwu with Vassell being the number three guy. I like Okoro and Vassell more than Abdia and Halliburton. It's not a huge gap. I know there are Hawks fans that like Abdia and there are Hawks fans that like Halliburton. Totally understand that. Um, my personal board would be a would be the either either a core or a Kongwu depending on who's available. If they're both gone, then you get into Vassell, um, Denny, and Tyrese Halliburton. So there you go on that. Again, the gaps are not too big. So this is the last lottery pick for a long time. If you're a Hawks fan, which you're hoping that it is for Atlanta, they have a ton of they have a ton of cap space, flexibility, all that stuff. They can certainly make a couple a couple of deals here as well, but a lot of possibilities. Uh, we'll be here with a wrap-up episode at the end of this before I finally go to bed on Wednesday. But uh, I want to say this, in addition to everything else that I've already rambled on about on today's podcast, I want to thank everybody for listening to the, during the entire run. Again, if you, if you want more draft listening before Wednesday, the archives are full with guest stuff from analysts like Brian, like Ben Pfeiffer, Sam Vecini, Jonathan Wasserman, P.D. Webb, Max Carlin, Zach Hood, Zach Milner, Brendan, Brandon Clean, Josh Lloyd, Tower Jones, Jackson Frank, Ricky O'Donnell, Spencer Perlman, etc., etc., etc. Those are all still applicable at this point in time, so check all that stuff out. But sincerely, again, thank you so much for listening during the entire run. We'll be back again with another show after the draft on Wednesday night. Please subscribe, please rate, review, and tell your friends, and we'll see you after the 2020 NBA draft.